Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com. In front of you, I want to encourage you uh, to pull out the notes provided for you. Um, and you can follow all along there. Or if you have a smartphone or a smart device and you can download hold on just a second here if you can download the Version Bible app that's Y-O-U version uh, and after you download it you can go to the more tab tap events uh, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church click on today's sermon title and there you should see the scriptures and all the notes, quotes and references as well I'll do my best. They they said uh, they got a big trailer so that I could run around today. The only issue is if I run around, you've got to take a lap around the church. That's kind of how that's going to work. Fair enough. Yeah. Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to preach to you part 5, the conclusion of this short series that I've just been simply entitled King Jesus. And today's sermon title is, is absent, not that it's not there, it's absent. I want you to listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote this in A Grief Observed, and it chronicles, that small book chronicles his emotions after the death of his beloved wife. Listen to what Lewis writes. It says, meanwhile, where is God? Where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him. If you turn to him then with praise, you will be welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face. A sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. When we lose our friends and our family members, when we mourn the deaths of our sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, we're often left with that terrifying question, where are you, God? Where are you? He seems awfully absent. In today's scripture, a group of Jesus' women followers had witnessed Jesus nailed to the cross. They watched him suffer for six hours and then he breathed his last. They were present when Joseph of Arimathea removed his corpse from the cross and after a long Sabbath's rest, these women followers come to Jesus' tomb to anoint his body and to show their devotion and perhaps receive some closure. This whole episode was contrary to their expectations of the Jewish Messiah. This was contrary to what ideas they had about who Jesus really was. I'm sure they were left with the question, where is God? 
Where is God in all this? Let's read the text. Please pay careful attention to this text and read it like you were in first the first century in a Roman church hearing it for the first time as best you can. Listen to what it says. It says, when the Sabbath was over, real side note, I don't want to start preaching on this, but that's a loaded statement. It was the last Sabbath ever. The last Sabbath ever. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices so that they could go and anoint him, referencing Jesus. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. What an understatement. (laughs) Alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. This is an amazing text. An amazing text. And why is this? I want you to think about this. And write this down in the first part of your notes. And I want you to read this text through this prism. Jesus is absent. He is not in this section of scripture at all. And that actually should be awfully surprising to us for many reasons. In Mark's account of the events concerning Jesus's resurrection, there is no demonstration of supernatural power. You don't get any description of the resurrection event itself. Don't you find that a little odd? This is probably the most glorious miracle in all of history. Maybe apart from the creation of the universe, which came out of nothing. And yet we have no description of the resurrection event itself. We just see the fallout. We just see the effects of the resurrection. But there's no demonstration of supernatural power. There's no celebration of victory over death. I mean, it's a bland story when you think about it. Nothing really uh, hot about it. And Jesus doesn't even make an appearance. Wow. And think about this. This is the ending to the book of Mark. This is supposed to inspire a bunch of Roman Christians who are facing persecution to live and die for King Jesus. And you're going to finish with this. Here's the other thing that's not in the text. Number one, write this down. There is no appearance of the risen Jesus to his disciples. Which is odd. 
These are the 12 men that followed him for some three and a half years. And Jesus doesn't even make the statement to them. In fact, the only type of revelation that's received in this passage is it looks like Jesus like left a note with this young man and said, can you tell the women to tell the disciples to come meet me somewhere? I mean, you're talking about almost like taking extra steps to get the word to somebody. You see how that works? I mean, you're talking about somebody, Jesus, we're going to find out in other gospels, in Matthew and Luke and John, Jesus could be here right now. He could appear bodily. And what does he say? Oh, I'm going to send a messenger with a note to some women to get to the disciples. What? That doesn't make any sense. And if you know this, we've shared this before, being in this ancient patriarchal society, the witness of women were not believed. It was often not considered admissible in court. In fact, one of the pagans in the second century who mocked and criticized Christianity wrote to one of the early church fathers, Origen, and he said about the gossip of women at an empty tomb. Gossip, he thought. And Mark just lays it out there like this is how it was. Number two, there is no explicit statement about angels. Now you see that in other gospels, that there are two angels present. And here the reference that you see is called a young man. Now that shouldn't scare us whether is it a man or an angel. In Judaism, in popular Judaism, you can read in 2 Maccabees and even Josephus's Antiquities that this term, young man, was often a veiled allusion to an angelic messenger. But that even proves my point. The one instance, catch this church, that you have a supernatural being at Resurrection Sunday. What does Mark call him? He used the veiled expression. He's just a young man. Do you understand how normal this would have looked? I think we, we get these visions of the, and we sing about it in a way that it's like, this was a bland, dry day. And then number three, the most shocking. I don't even understand why you would end a book this way. That's supposed to inspire Roman Christians to endure persecution. Is there is no great courage. None. No great courage. And I'm not pointing fingers here. But it's kind of, you know, it's just not inspiring. How does this, this whole book of Mark end? With the women running scared. And I'll go ahead and confess it. If I was there that day, I would have led that pack. I would have bolted the minute I saw this young man. Mark records that the women trembling and bewildered, went out and fled the tomb. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? If that first day, Jesus' absence in this whole passage confronts us. I just read this passage and kept asking, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I'm here to make much of Jesus, and he's not here. All the angel does is he guides us and invites us to come to term with a disruptive reality and its awesome implications. I think that the, it's weird. I think before the resurrection can bless you, it has to like terrify you. 
to think about what is happening in real time in history. Here's some parts I want you to go ahead and just let's begin to meditate and apply this. If Jesus was really raised from the dead, and I have many good reasons to believe it. I spent the last week on Facebook and YouTube and go back and look. I did a little mini series on defending the resurrection. But here's the part that I find great and fascinating. And it actually helps me so much in my life, not just this week, but in general, is that the greatest miracle, catch this, that has happened in history, there is no eyewitness of it. Nobody has recorded for us and left down exactly what happened that night, either you know, past the Sabbath, between the morning when the women came. Nobody has a description for the resurrection. And why does that comfort me? And you've heard it before, but I think you've seen it in this text. is even when we don't see it, God is still working. Did you hear me, church? The greatest miracle... That impacts you and I today. There were no eyewitnesses of. And yet it proves God was still up to something good. When nobody was expecting it. When nobody was looking for it. When there was no faith in it at all. God still did it. I mean that shows you right there that you and I are not the Messiah. Because we would have made sure there was a crowd there. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? And yet on Resurrection Sunday, I mean, Jesus just comes out of the tomb and it's just, well, nobody's here. And my whole point about it is he went and did that for us anyway. So what are we left with? And this is almost like, I'm just clinging, I'm reading this text going, where where am I supposed to get at Jesus? And this hit me, and at first I thought, I don't, I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, this is not super creative, super powerful. It's none of that. This is like probably the most mundane resurrection point, big idea, take home truth that I can give to you on an Easter Sunday. But then after I, I come to grips with it and then dealt with it this week, I think it might be the most powerful thing in this text. Jesus' empty tomb, his absence only invites us to question what happened to Jesus. It causes us to lean in. Can somebody help us make sense of this? And so the what's given to them is Jesus and his gracious provision provides this angelic messenger and he gives them a word, a way to interpret the fact of what happened. And this is amazing. He told them, listen to this church. It will bless you today if you can get the grips of this in your soul. The angel told them exactly everything that Jesus already said. What? Do you know the angel said nothing new to them? Because Jesus had prophesied all of this. He told them in advance. I went back to the book of Mark three separate times. I am going to Jerusalem to die. And I will be raised three days later. And it even says, the, Mark, the, the text in Mark goes, they had no clue what he meant by that. And what I find just amazing is here the angel just takes them and points them to go, just go back 
and remember what Jesus said. And here's what I want you to write down. And this may, it may not seem comforting to you until you need it, but you'll be glad I told you. In his absence, in the absence of Jesus, we have his word. We have his word. Why is that a big deal? As I mentioned, every word of the announcement Jesus had, he had said it all before. There is nothing that he says here. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, nothing new. He has risen, nothing new. (laughs) He told you that. He is not here. See the place where they put him. And then notice the application. He had already told them what to do once he was raised. Hey, we're going to rendezvous in Galilee. Remember that, guys. And where are they at? Sitting in Jerusalem, terrified, locked under key and bolt. And and the angel just says it right there at the end, like, just like he said. (laughs) Just like he, he told me, you see, he already told this to you. What the resurrection does, and I think this is what Mark is trying to get us to, the resurrection vindicates every word Jesus has already said. That's an awesome thing. Because then all you need to go back and do is go, well, what did Jesus say? And he has a lot to say to you. And it means this, if God raised Jesus from the dead, everything he said that concerns you is God's honest truth. It comes with God's seal of approval. He stamped it. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. So what did Jesus already say about us before his crucifixion and death? Write this down. Number one, he eliminated God's wrath against sinners. He knew full well going to the cross. This wasn't going to be about blasphemy or treason. That's what we understood it to be. He was offering his life as a ransom for many. That's what he told them. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite self-designation. He nicknamed himself, and it's in reference to Daniel 7. Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is he ransoming many people from? And it is none other than God's wrath. Jesus explains this. The apostolic witness goes on to explain Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures and appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. What was he doing on Golgotha? What was he doing on Calvary? He was bleeding and dying for all of my sins. All of them. And how do I know? That's the hard part. We know. Nobody doubts the fact that Jesus of Nazareth bled and died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. We're asking, what's the significance? What's the word of interpretation of that fact? And Jesus tells us, I'm doing it to ransom you, to buy you back, to give you freedom and forgiveness of sin. And so how do we accept Jesus' own interpretation of his walk to the cross? Because God raised him from the dead. If God did not raise Jesus from the dead, and he is somewhere out there in the Middle East, 
I need you to understand this. All of Christianity is a sham. There is no saving power in Jesus' blood. There is no eternal life in heaven. There is no resurrection from the dead. It is a pointless law. That's the truth. But if God raised Jesus from the dead, all other truths outside of Christ are all false. They're all laws. And I think that's comforting to know that we live in a world that constantly asks, what's your truth? Everybody's looking for some truth to gain ascendancy. And we have the truth because God raised him from the dead. The second thing, number two, he established this new era of peace between God and sinners. He established the new era of peace between God and sinners. We actually referenced this already. Mark chapter 14, verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Do y'all catch the gravity that he's saying this in advance? He's saying, when I shed my blood, it will establish a new way of relating to God. The new covenant was prophesied in the old covenant. You read it in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34. It says, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's decoration. So notice what this, I mean, intimate relationship with God results in. It says, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. That's the difference between Jesus' blood and everything else humanity can offer God is because Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, divine perfection, infinite holiness, came and shed blood for sin. He not only covers our sins, but cleanses and expiates our sins. He washes them away that when God looks at you, he cannot think of sin. He removes the wrath of God. He turns it away. And you can be nothing more than the recipient of God's heavenly blessings. Jesus knew full well. And that's why he said it in advance. That's what I'm here to do. What's our response to this? Number three, we must repent, believe, and share the gospel. The gospel is this good news. We've come to preach good news today. The fact of, of the matter is we're all sinners and we deserve hell. That's the truth. Nevertheless, in great mercy and love for you, God has given a way in which you can plead the blood of Jesus. Repent to acknowledge you're a sinner, to come to terms with what God has said in his word, we have all sinned against you. And then believe that what was offered on Calvary 2,000 years ago was for your benefit today. And why believe it? Because God raised him from the dead. God accepted that payment. And then it's our obligation to go and share this. We go and preach and proclaim this good news that there is forgiveness of sin, 
freedom from sin, eternal life, and the resurrection of the dead in Jesus' name. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 13, 10. Again, before his death and uh, his crucifixion and resurrection. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. This is what I also love about this. Jesus said it then, whether it's reached everybody or not, I know that it will because Jesus said it. We're doing it today. We're, we're, think about it. We're fulfilling a part of what he said already. We're preaching his good news to everybody. I want you to pay attention to one other special thing. Notice what it says. He says in verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Pay attention to that address. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, why does that matter? If you remember, I've shared this with you. In fear, they had abandoned Jesus. They did not want to be caught and identified with Jesus. So they denied him. They deserted him. Peter, the leader of the apostolic band, he sinned grievously. He was heartless and made repeated public and willful statements that he did not know Jesus. And yet, I just love the fact that I could see my Savior 2,000 years ago get up Sunday morning. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. He has an angelic messenger, and he goes, hey, there are going to be some people coming, <laughs> all right? Tell the disciples, and then I love what he did, and Peter. One other preacher, I'm, I'm glad I serve a God that knows my name. Could you imagine, if he just said, tell the disciples, if, if Peter was somewhat like me, I know how this goes down. When the women come back in and they finally believe the women, which they should, Peter would have surely thought, well, he said the disciples, and I'm clearly not one of them. I denied him. I rejected him. And I love that Jesus takes the time to purposefully include Peter. Make sure Peter hears about the meeting in Galilee. See, we're, we're just like those first disciples. There's not a person here, including myself. We have all failed Jesus. We too often misunderstand. We too often lack faith. We too often retreat under pressure. We too often are silent when others ask us, do you know him? I have failed him time and time again. And yet what I'm assured of in this passage, he goes, and tell Josh. Tell him. I'm not done with them. I don't hold it against them. And the same for you. You may sit there and said, look, over the past year, I've wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I've been dragged to Easter at Mount Carmel. Well, I'm here to tell you, just like it was told to them. He wants you. Meet up with him. If you've drifted away from him, he now compels you to return to him. He does not want you to be timid. 
standing off to the side going, well, I don't deserve it. None of us do. He invites you to join the ranks of the saints. And so make your way to him. He's expecting you. I like how Spurgeon said it. Some of us just need a fresh grip of faith today. A fresh grip to take hold of Jesus. And what you'll find is this. He is more ready for you than you are for him. I love that. What does it say? He's done going up ahead. Right? Uh, He's already in Galilee because he told you guys the plan. And thank God because they were so slow. He finally does appear in Jerusalem for them. Isn't that amazing? But the rendezvous was Galilee. The restoration of the twelve also depends upon accepting the testimony of women. And this shows you God's great reversal. The angel's message calls the women. The women call the disciples. And what the disciples do, they're calling all the nations. I love that we're still, we're still feeling the effects of just that simple word 2,000 years ago. As, I, as he already said. <laughs> and that's why we're here today. Those who read the end of Mark, Mark's asking them to revisit the words of Jesus. And that's what I found myself doing. I love, I read that and it finally hit me. You know what Mark wants me to do? Go back and read everything Jesus said. And I started flipping. I'm going, whoa, this is all true. This is all true. And then to go about and take those words and be about his mission. Share those exact words with other people. His resurrection opens the way for our resurrection, church. If God raised Christ from the dead and you and I are in Christ, then God will raise us up too. I believe it. I like what Russell Moore said. None of us are suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. I believe it. There's nothing we're going through that resurrection can't fix. And he will call us up out of that grave. Those who sleep in Jesus will live with him. So we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. We leave their dust to the ground, but thank God they can go no lower. Corruption does not overcome them because they'll be resurrected unto the likeness of Jesus. So when you're going through those times, and this is the best thing I can give you, and it's Honestly, at the end of the day, it's the only thing you really need. When you're going through something, you go, where is God? Where is God? Where is Jesus? You know what I tell you to do? Go to his word. If you walked out of here today and go, I think I'm going to go and read the words of Jesus. I'd consider it a win. He is wherever his word is. And then what does his word tell us? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's here today. He's with me now. You do not have to see the risen Jesus to know him. The question is this. Will you believe his word? Will you believe his word? At the end of the day, this is what's so hard. Jesus can make appearance after appearance after appearance. 
And it will still require faith because you have to trust the interpretation of those facts. Why is he appearing? Why is he showing up? Because at the end of the day, you're a sinner and he died for you. That's what you have to come to grips with. You've got to believe his word. What does Jesus' absence some 2,000 years ago mean for us right now? I like how Spurgeon noted it. It means this. Here's what that means. Jesus' government has not been taken from his shoulders. It still remains. Our king is not captive. Our emperor has not yielded up his sword, which is his word. Our prince is not banished. Jesus' empire has never failed. The city of Jerusalem is not besieged. God is still in our midst, and we shall not be moved. So let the heathen rage. Let the people and nations be moved. Let the whole earth rock and reel. Why? Because Jesus is our refuge and strength, our very present help in time of trouble. And he reigns. His unchangeable word is settled. Therefore, saints, lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. Even now, clap for joy. Go back to the conflict of your life until your master calls you home like a true hero. Know no fear. Never turn back until our blessed risen Lord calls you home. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. I have to believe this morning. I do. Given the size of this crowd or whoever's watching online or will listen, there's someone who's never come to terms with the truth of Jesus that you're a sinner and that the remedy is the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And that he, this man, who is the son of God, loves you and bled and died for you. And he wants to, like Peter, meet up with you. See, if Jesus has been raised and he really is the son of God, which what resurrection will mean, then he is here. He hears our thoughts and whispers. He's the son of God. He's not dead. He's alive. Seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. He knows you, created you, loves you, and he is calling you to him now. And the question is, will you call back? Will you respond? Will you repent? Will you acknowledge, come to terms with your sin? And trust, just lean on Jesus' person and word that Jesus will forgive you. He will. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to lead you just in a brief, short prayer that you can use to call out to King Jesus and ask him to forgive you. And he will today. And you can receive eternal life and the promise of resurrection. With every head bowed and every eye closed, will you pray this quietly in your heart to say, Dear Jesus, I agree with you. I am a sinner. And I deserve hell. But I believe you love me. You came to this earth, lived a sinless life, 
and died on the cross for all my sin. And I believe God raised you from the dead to prove it. Please forgive me. Grant me eternal life and raise me up on that last day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to tell you the next step, right? That rendezvous point, so to speak, with Jesus is where we identify and go public with him. We count ourselves among the apostolic band, a part of the group that follows Jesus. And how do we do that? We do it through baptism. Jesus teaches us that everyone's to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we're not washing away sin, but we're showing that we believe in Jesus' death for our sin when we go under the water, and we're saying we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for our new life and eternal life. If you've never been baptized, I can tell you where to go on up ahead to. The next step in your walk with the Lord is to be baptized. Take that tear-off panel on the side of the bulletin. Check baptism on the back. Drop it in the drop box. Text BELIEVE to our text and church number. Go to our website. Fill out the baptism form. Give us a chance to talk to you about the next step of baptism. We would love nothing more than to baptize you. The last thing that I want to do in the stillness and silence of this moment, I want to read a prayer to you and just give you a minute or two I feel like in a crazy world, it isn't going to hurt 200 people to just sit outside for a moment and reflect and meditate on the goodness of Jesus. I want to read this prayer to you from Marvin Vincent. It says, O merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, in whom whoever believes shall live, though he die, and whoever lives and believes in him shall not die eternally who also has taught us by his holy apostle not to be sorry as men without hope. For those who sleep in him, we humbly ask you, O Father, to raise us from the death of sin unto the life of righteousness, so that when we shall depart this life, we may rest in him. And that at the general resurrection and the last day, we may be found acceptable in your sight, and receive that blessing which your well-beloved Son shall then pronounce to all who love and fear you, saying, Come, blessed children of my Father, receive the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. Grant this, we ask you, O merciful Father, through Jesus Christ, our mediator and redeemer. Amen. Will you take a moment in the stillness just to meditate and pray? And give thanks for the sacrificial death and resurrection of King Jesus.
Let's pray, Father. Lord, we give you glory and honor. Strength and power all belong to you. Your goodness is unfathomable. That when we were at our worst, you sent your absolute best, bankrupted heaven, and gave us Jesus. Lord, we just come confessing as humbly and as best we know how that we don't deserve your loving kindness. We're sinners, rebels, hostile in our minds and hearts toward you. And yet your infinite grace continues to superabound um, our rebellion, our stubbornness. And you came and bled and died for us. Lord, may we never get over the gospel. Lord, for those who are proud, we ask that you would humble them so that they can enter into the kingdom. And for those who despair today, lift up their head. We have hope in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your death for me and for every person here. I thank you, God, for raising him from the dead to know that we're not believing blindly into the words of Jesus. But you vindicated his word. You put your seal of approval on them. And so we see in Jesus' words, your words, God. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your comfort, your peace that passes beyond our comprehension. We ask that you continue to take each person and guide them one step closer to the truth today. We thank you for Easter Sunday, God. And we look forward to our Easter with you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. amen. We're going to have uh, one last song in just a moment. I do got a couple of requests, uh, announcements for you. Again, don't forget, uh, feel free to take pictures anywhere around. Uh, let us know. Give us, like, tag us in social media so we can uh, see you and celebrate with you and maybe make an album uh, from today. The other thing I want to just encourage you to do is we will begin taking up our Annie Armstrong Easter offering next week, okay? Um, and you can begin to, to donate uh, when you like. Um, you can also even go online. We'll make that available at mtcarmeldimmers.com where you can give to the Annie Armstrong offering. And, and, and in case you're wondering, if you're new to the Southern Baptist church world, Annie Armstrong offering is for national um, missions. And so we're saying this is missions that are in uh, North America. We have church planters across the United States. And this one particular offering, it bypasses any church budgets, uh, conference budgets, co- uh, convention bus- budgets, and it's and it's received by the church planners to use for extra things uh, in their in their mission. All right, so please prayerfully consider uh, giving an Easter gift to uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Hey, thank you so much for coming to worship with us today. We're going to sing one last song. Let's sing it out uh, because he lives, or he lives. He lives within my heart. During that moment of silence, was you did it, could you feel the warmth? Could you hear God's music? The birds were singing. Though. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful day to be alive, and especially alive in Him. The world may not know Him. You and I do, and we know that because He lives within our heart. Let's stand together and we sing this last song, one verse, I serve a risen Savior. You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening.